This morning's scripture reading is out of the book of Acts, chapter 10, verse 34 through 48. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message of God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea. Beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and of the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking those, these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even to the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have, so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Trinity Church. All right, let's do that again. Good morning, Trinity Church. All right, very good. Um, a lot of you guys may recognize that we're missing one of our very own up on stage. And um, this morning, as we were listening to the worship um, band, um, it just struck me how much I love Grace. And I'm so appreciative of what she's done for Trinity. Um, so as a church body, I'm going to ask you guys this morning just to join with me and say, Grace, we love you, and I pray that this is an easy day of moving into UGA. So say it with me. I love you, Grace. Love you, Grace. All right, very good. Um, I do miss her, and uh, I know that she's going to be doing some wonderful things there. I just pray that um, she feels the love of her church as she is moving in uh, and uh, going on and doing the Lord's work uh, in this next chapter of her life. So recently, my family and I went to Gulf Shores. We went on vacation. And uh, we always go with my brother-in-law and his family. It's always a good time. But you know, there's always those like rain delays that happen at the beach. And so me and my nephew, he's 15, we found each other just being bored, sitting there on the couch. And my 15-year-old nephew, he looks at me and he says, hey, I've got a game that we can play. And with a 15-year-old that has a cell phone, you, I just wonder what in the world is about to happen. Um, but this one was so neat. It's called GeoGuessr. Has any of you, have any of you guys ever heard of a game called GeoGuessr? Well, I hadn't either. And so this is a really, really neat game, I think. And so what it is, is basically you get five shots at trying to guess where you are in the world. And so 
this GeoGuessr will show you a picture of a street view, Google Maps kind of picture of where some place is in the world. It's totally random, totally random. And then you have to go to a map and be able to pinpoint where you are in the world. So it's hard. You see all these different places, and so like you would have to guess where you are in the world. And by the way, it doesn't tell you in the top left-hand corner. That's me putting that on there for you. Um, game would be very easy if that was the case. But, um, but no, it, it just shows you these pictures, and then you have to guess where you are. And the closer you are into this point, this street view, the more points that you get. And, um, you know, when I played this game with my 15-year-old nephew, and as we left, I found myself weeks after being um, with my nephew, I was still playing this game. It's just so neat. Like, you get to see different views of the world. You get to see different places all across the whole globe. Um, You get to see different people and different cultures that you've never seen before. And um, as I was playing this game um, not too long ago, it was as if the Lord had just said, everything that you see, it's all mine. Everything that you see, every every valley, every stream, every person, everything that you see, it's all mine. Every single bit of it is mine. And in our text today, Acts 10 through 11, Luke, the author, he's telling us it's all his. He's telling us this world is his. And so this morning I have an agenda. I have a goal that I want to accomplish. And my aim is to show you why this passage Cornelius is so very important. And the story of the conversion of Cornelius is the longest narrative that we have in the book of Acts. It spans almost two chapters. And I want to show you how all of this fits together. I want to show you why you and I should love the story of Cornelius, a Gentile like you and me. And it's not an exaggeration to say that all of Scripture has led up to this point. What happens in this chapter is big. And I've told you guys before that there are some places in Scripture that um, have bright blinking neon lights. Well, this is one of them that has bright blinking neon lights, but it also has trumpet blasts and confetti and all kinds of stuff to make sure that we understand what is going on here. We can't miss what God is doing right here. And as I read this story in Acts, I am convinced, convinced that Luke is excited about telling us this story. And so I pray, my prayer is for you guys, it has been all week, that you are excited about hearing this as well, because it's important. So what exactly is happening in this story? What exactly is going on? And so I want to give just a small disclaimer. There's a lot of Scripture in this, okay? So don't feel the need to flip every time I give you a new Scripture. If you, you're going to see most of them up here. And if uh, you would like the text, all the different lists of Scripture that I'm going to use, uh, just ask me afterwards and I'll get you all, this, uh, all these Scripture verses, okay? Let's pray and then we'll get started. Father in heaven, I love you and I thank you for your message. I thank you for your, your son that came and died upon the cross and rose again for me. And so, Father, 
as we come to passages like this, we realize that it's not just for me. It is for me, but Father, it is for this whole entire earth. It's for every nation. So Father, as we look into Your Word this morning, my prayer is that we see what You are doing and what You have been doing since the dawn of time. Lord, calm my heart, bless Your Word. May it seep down deep into our hearts this morning. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's go to Genesis 12.3. We ready, Emma? All right. Genesis 12.3. I will bless those who bless you. In him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 18.17-18. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Joshua 4.24 So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. 1 Kings 8.60 That all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. 1 Chronicles 16.23-24 Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. Psalms 2.8 Ask of Me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Psalms 22.27 All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before You. Psalms 72.11 May all kings fall down before Him. All nations serve Him. Psalms 86.9 All the nations You have made shall come and worship before You, O Lord, and shall glorify Your name. And listen to Isaiah 2.2. It says, It shall come to pass in the later days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the highest of, mountain, of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. Isaiah 42-20 Turn to Me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By Myself I have sworn, from My mouth has gone out righteousness, a word not return to me and every tongue shall swear allegiance Isaiah 49 6 he says it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribe of Jacob's tribe of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth and church, listen again to Isaiah 49.6. And this time we're going to read it from the New International Version, the NIV. It says, he says, it is too small a thing. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant and to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also, I will also make, make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. What's that last line right there in Isaiah 49.6? It says, I will make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Does that phrase sound familiar to you guys? I pray to God that it does because we've been going through this, this series, right? We've been going through this, this study. More than likely, when you think of the phrase to the ends of the earth, you think of 
verses like Acts 1.8. In Acts 1.8, you'd be right to think that. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We'd be right to think about that. But this phrase is much older than just Acts 1.8. It goes all the way back to Isaiah 49.6. And then we can even see this phrase back in Psalms. And the reason that I felt the need to read all those Old Testament passages, and there were many, many more. I think that was only about 10 passages. But when I started this, I had 25, and I had to just narrow it down. But, but the reason I felt the need to read all those to you is it's easy for us as Christians here today to see the Old Testament as just about Israel, as just about the Jews. And then when we read the New Testament, we think of missions. We think of Acts 1.8, to the ends of the world, to the ends of the earth. And the truth is that God's mission was never just about Israel. It was about the redemption of every nation across this globe. Every single one of them. And in Acts 10, God gave Peter a vision to prove this lesson to him. So this is the story. The Bible tells us that one day Peter went to a rooftop and he went there to pray, but he got, became hungry, and then he fell into a trance. And in this vision that he received, this is what he saw. I want to read it to you. This is Acts 10, 11 through 15. Peter, he, seeing the heavens opened up, opened in something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. There came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have eaten, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, for those of us that know some of the stories about Peter, Peter had a knack for arguing with Jesus. And even in this vision that he receives, he says, by no means, Lord. Peter here was not interested in breaking Jewish law. He wasn't going to eat any of that unclean stuff. There was no chance. But don't miss this. Peter's interaction with God here happened three times. If we know Peter, there were other things that happened three times with Peter, right? Three times God said to him, what God has made clean, do not call common. Acts 10.17 tells us that Peter was confused by this vision. It tells us that he was pondering this vision. He didn't know what to make of this. But guys, it was all about to come together for him. It was all about to make sense. What Peter didn't know was that God was also at work in the life of another man about 40 miles away. A Gentile man. Now, Peter was there in Joppa, but a man named Cornelius was all the way over in Caesarea. And the Bible tells us that around noon, while Peter was pondering this vision, three men came to the gate and they were looking for Peter. And the Spirit of the Lord had told Peter, hey, I've sent these men to you, so go down and meet them. Go down and greet them. Now, they traveled from Caesarea just to find Peter. You see, they were sent there by Cornelius, who also had a vision around 3 p.m. the previous day. 
And in this vision, in this dream, Cornelius was told by an angel, hey, you need to go find Peter. You need to go find Peter. And because he has a message, listen to this, he has a message that has the power to save you and your whole household. So he sent them in. And the next day after these men were there, they went back to Caesarea to meet Cornelius. And I want you to see, I'm going to read this, I want you to see what this greeting was like between Cornelius and Peter. Here it is in Acts 10, 24-29. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. This was a packed house. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with, listen, or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person, person, un, or common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. All right, so real quick, we need to go back to Peter's vision. Okay, What was Peter's vision all about? Here he was on a rooftop. He fell into this trance. He sees this sheet coming down and a bunch of animals that were unclean. And the voice tells him to kill and eat. He says, no, I'm not going to do that because they're unclean. In this vision, he doesn't see people, right? He sees unclean food. And remember that Peter was really confused about the whole thing. He did not know what it meant all the way up until this point in Acts 10.28. At this point in Acts 28, he says this, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person, any person, common or unclean. See, Peter now knows right here what this vision was all about. It wasn't just about food. It was about people. God showed Peter that he should no longer see any person as unclean or common. Peter's vision was meant to radically shift how Peter saw Gentiles. Okay, so Peter asked Cornelius, once he's there, he asked Cornelius, hey, why did you send for me? Why, why, why am I here? And in the next three verses, Cornelius tries to explain, hey, why, why he was sent for, why he went to go get him. And let me just summarize it for you. Cornelius basically says, hey, we need to hear the gospel. We need to hear the gospel. We want to know everything that God has shown you. Tell it to us. And so Peter preaches a, this beautiful message, and at the end of it, he tells them strongly that forgiveness is found in no one else other than Jesus Christ. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit fell on everyone who was there. And the Bible records that these Gentiles started speaking in tongues. And God used this to prove that these men were genuinely saved. They pr this proved that they were actually saved. These Gentiles, these uncircumcised men were truly genuinely saved. And the Bible also records that they were commanded to be baptized by Peter. God used this baptism, this public baptism, as a sign to show all believers present that they belonged to the church. They belonged to the church. These Gentiles were now members of the church. 
They were part of God's people. These unclean and uncircumcised men, they had now been saved. And guys, the mission of the church to the ends of the earth began. This was a massive moment in Peter's life. It was massive. And in this section of Acts, you can just kind of almost feel like something's coming. When you read it, you just feel like something's about to explode. And so here we are in chapter 10 and 11. And in chapter 13, the book kind of takes another shift. Chapter 13, we see Paul's first missionary journey. Matter of fact, from chapter 13 to the end of the book, chapter 28, we see how the gospel is spread primarily to the Gentiles, to the whole earth. The expansion of the gospel was about to happen. It was about to spread like crazy. And God was preparing Peter for the ride that the church was about to go on. All right, so things are about to change. And I want you to see this in the full context of Scripture. This is kind of more of a a teaching passage, so just, just stay with me for a second. But I want you to see in the full context what's happening. Our best guess between Cornelius and Peter, this exchange, our best guess is this probably happened around 40 A.D., and about 10 years prior to this, Jesus was on the earth doing his, his ministry. And Jesus at that time made some pretty big claims. There were some pretty big prophecies that Jesus had. And Jesus told his disciples that the, Jew, and that the Jewish culture and traditions and the way of living, it was all going to come crashing down, literally crashing down. I want you to hear what he says in Mark 13. Mark 13, verses 1 and 2, Jesus said, or this is what happened with Jesus. And as he came out of the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Just kind of visualize this for a second, right? They come out, Jesus, look at this. Look how beautiful this is. And this is how Jesus responds. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Luke 21, Matthew 24, Mark 13 all tell us about Jesus' prophecy about the destruction of the temple. Now, was Jesus right about this? Yes, he was. This prophecy was fulfilled. In 70 AD, Emperor Titus, who at that time was an emperor, he was a general, he went to war. He waged war on Jerusalem. And much of the city was destroyed and the temple there was destroyed. Over one million Jews lost their lives in this event. It was catastrophic. The destruction of the temple in 70 AD was a massive, massive event that happened in Jewish history. It brought huge changes. And Jewish culture from that moment forward would never ever be the same. But here we are at this time in history of 40 AD, Jewish culture, the temple's still there, it was huge. There was a pride about their culture and their traditions and everything that made them who they were. In fact, talking down about Jewish customs and traditions and the temple was one of the reasons that Stephen was stoned in Acts 7. You guys remember the boldness of Stephen and how he was stoned to death for the things that he was saying? In Acts 6, we read Stephen that he was 
seized, and he was brought forth between, b- before the high priest. And there was accusations thrown at him. And I want to read these accusations to you, okay? I want you to hear why, what specifically Stephen was stoned for. This is Acts 6, 13 and 14. It says, And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. So this holy place is what? The temple. And the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, the temple, and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So I want you to see that talking against the temple and the laws and the customs, this was a big deal. This was such a big deal that they killed Stephen for it. Now when Jeff preached on this, this passage some time ago, wasn't that long ago, but when he preached on this, he reminded us that Stephen did not say, hey, that, those accusations aren't right. Those aren't, those aren't right. There was no part of him that said, hey, I, guys, that's not what I said. You've misinterpreted what I've said. Matter of fact, in Acts 7, Stephen preaches a good long sermon where he pretty much says, yes, all of that is true. Stephen was telling them that this temple will soon be destroyed along with their culture and customs. And as Stephen spoke to the high priest, he basically said this to them. He basically said, because you have rejected the Messiah, because you have rejected Jesus, change is coming. Because you have rejected him, big changes are coming. Well, 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. But again, here we are in Acts 10 and 11, around 40 AD. God had begun to till the ground for the seed of the gospel that was about to explode on the place. God had a mission planned out, and He was preparing everyone for it. All those scriptures that I read, those are part of God's grand scheme, His grand plan, and He is preparing the world for it. Remember where we're at here in Acts. Chapter 13, it's coming. It's just going to be in another chapter. And then Luke is going to launch in to 16 chapters of telling us how God is God used Paul to take the gospel to the Gentiles. The gospel at this moment is no longer going to be predominantly for the people of Israel. It was now going to the nations. What was promised in the Old Testament is now coming to life. And what was, coming, what was commanded by Christ in the Great Commission was now going to be fulfilled. And you guys know this from Matthew 28. It says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Trinity, are you not grateful that the gospel message went to the nations the gospel message went to the nations it traveled all this way and it's gotten here in marble hill georgia and we're here gathered because the gospel made it here it went through a lot but it is here and praise god that you and i have received this message of salvation you and i have hope because we have received this message. So things were about to change. 
And you can read all over Acts. All over Acts, there were many Jewish Christians that weren't fully ready for the gospel to go to the Gentiles. They just, they just weren't. Even Peter, even Peter was, at times showed that he wasn't ready for it to go to the, the Gentiles. But God was at work. But God was at work showing that there was change coming. He was preparing the hearts of Peter and his followers that things were about to go to the Gentiles. And you know, I get their hesitation. I get their hesitation. Um, as I was thinking through this passage, I remember as a child, like, it's not easy to share, is it? It's like sharing is not easy. And I have this really dumb illustration, so I apologize. It's like a dumb story from my past, but I, I hope it hits its mark. One of the things that um, I received as a gift when I was younger was this humongous cardboard box from my, gran my grandmother and grandfather. Um, it was awesome. One of the best gifts that I ever received from my, my grandparents. I have no clue what was in it, maybe a refrigerator or, a, or like a, a lawnmower or something. But to me, this box was not just a box. Like it was my fort. It was my kingdom. Like it was whatever I wanted it to be. It could be my race car at the time. It could be my tank. It could be whatever I wanted it to be. I could make it whatever I wanted it to be. And you know, it, it would have been all mine if my neighbor's granddaughter had just stayed up there at her house. But she didn't. This girl who I am certain had cooties, she came down there and she wanted, she wanted to mess with my box. She wanted to be in my box. And I didn't want it to have hearts and flowers and stuff drawn on it. I wanted, you know, boy stuff. Flames and skulls and all that kind of stuff, right? But I had plans for that box. I wanted it to look a certain way. And I even remember trying to make her guess a password. I even remember like looking at her saying, you're not getting in here unless you know the password. And my grandmother, who overheard this exchange, I remember her, I'm not, I probably don't have the words exactly right, but I remember her saying something like this. Boy, you thought that box was just for you, didn't you? She said, that girl doesn't need a password. You better share. Well, I know that's a silly story, but the truth is that I believe that that's some of the way, that's partly the way that some of these Jewish Christians felt about the Gentiles receiving the gospel. They felt like it was theirs. They owned it. And Peter, in this vision, he uses two words to, to describe the Gentiles. Common and unclean. Common and unclean. And in 10.16, we're told that God responds back to Peter three separate times saying, what God has made clean, do not call common. What God has made clean, do not call common. God in this moment was telling Peter, just like my grandmother had told me, boy, you better share. You better share. This isn't just yours. This isn't, this isn't yours. This is mine, and I want it to go there. I want her to play in it too. I want Cornelius to play in it too. You, you better share. But this was no easy task for Peter other Jewish, or other Jewish Christians. As a matter of fact, Luke 11, the whole chapter is written for us because, well, part of the chapter is written for us because Luke, or Peter is getting a lot of criticism for taking the Gospel to the Gentiles. How could... 
how could Peter share the gospel with such unclean, common people? How, how dare Peter do such a thing? And see, we, being here 2,000 years later, we're removed from this culture, and we don't really understand what the divide was like between Jew and Gentile. We don't really get it. And it's hard for us to understand it. A guy named Max Anders, who's done a lot of study on this, he wrote this, and I thought it was a good quote. He says, we don't understand the degree of separation that existed between these two groups of people. It's like saying there will no longer be blacks and whites in South Africa. It's like saying there will no longer be Catholics and Protestants in Ireland. It's like saying there will no longer be, listen, liberals or conservatives in the United States. All these people are going to be made one. Imagine not liking a group of people so much that to get to where you're going, you're willing to walk 150 miles out of your way just to get there. Just so you didn't have to be in their presence. This is the way the Jews felt about the Gentiles and how they treated the Samaritans. They even called them dogs. What was Peter doing taking the gospel to these people? Well, church, God was at work on Peter. God was at work changing Peter's attitude and heart towards the Gentiles. He was preparing him for the changes that were about to come in the world. Now, Ephesians 2, it talks about this. And these are Paul's words. Paul writes this. This just an incredible passage. And I'm going to read this passage for you. And I want you to, I want you to think about this exchange between Peter and Cornelius. Okay? I want you to think about what's happening in this moment. Just hear it and listen to what it says. This is Ephesians 2, 12-16. It says, Remember that you... Gentiles, you being Gentiles, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Trinity, please listen to me. The church of Jesus Christ has no nationality. We do not have a secret handshake. We do not have a secret password. We have one confession, and that confession is Jesus Christ is King. Jesus Christ is King. Confess that you get in. Jesus Christ is King. And Peter in Acts 10, 34-35, truly, I, he says this, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. Praise God that the Gospel came to us. It came to you. And to say it this way, it came to us unclean and common folk. It came to us. 
And if you're here and you're saved today, pray, you, please, I pray, I pray that you praise God for your salvation because it traveled a long way and went through a lot of stuff just to hit your ears. But it did get to you. And now that it is there, it is right here, now you are responsible for the care, the protection, and the proclamation of this incredible message. It's your job. It's our job. Now before we move on, I, I think this is an important point to mention. Our world has gone, this is kind of a side note to this whole passage. You could preach a whole sermon on what I'm about to say. But the, our whole world has gone crazy about race and racism and just racial issues. Our whole world has gone crazy about it. And there, there are serious issues that need to be addressed. So I don't want to be... Um, insincere there. But there's so much talk about racial reconciliation. And it's passages like Acts 10 and 11 and Ephesians 2 that I just read that show us that racism has zero place in the church and zero place in your heart if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. It has zero place there. And if we want to know how to reconcile the races, we need to read the Bible. If we want to know how to reconcile the races, it's right there in Acts 10 through 11 and Ephesians 2. In Christ Jesus, God created one new man. One new man. And only Christ. If we want to figure out how to, how to reconcile the races, it is only in Christ that we can have reconciliation among the peoples. It is only in Him. If God shows no partiality, then we who follow Him should not either. And I, I tried to figure out if I should say it this way or not, but I'm just going to say it bluntly. Um, racism among believers might be one of the dumbest things that I can think of. If God can accept you and accept me, He can accept anyone. Anyone. And may we be a people who desire salvation to hit every single nation. May, may we be a people that want people to come to God no matter their background, their family line, their neighborhood, their hometown, their, their nationality, or their skin color. We want them all. We want them all to come to Christ. Because you know why? Christ came for them all. May we be a people that want them all. Finally, God was preparing the world for this change. And I haven't really talked about Cornelius and all of this, but it's very important. So who was this man? And in setting up this story, Luke, he takes great care to make sure that we know about the character of Cornelius. And Luke, as he narrates this story, he tells us five things about Cornelius right off the bat. So Acts 10 verses 1 and 2, he says this, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. So from these verses, we know five things right off the bat. These five things are, he was a centurion soldier, he was a devout man, he feared God, he gave alms to the people and to the poor, and he prayed continually. Now, notice in this that Luke did not call him an unclean man. Luke describes him actually as a pretty good man. 
This description would lead us to believe that Cornelius was already saved, right? He feared God. He prayed. He did all those things. gave alms to the poor. He was a devout man. But guys, this text, Acts 10 and 11, it is clear that while Cornelius was a good man, a kind man, a generous man, he was also an unsaved man. He sent for Peter because he needed to hear the gospel and he needed to be baptized. We also learn a sixth thing about Cornelius in Acts, or Acts 10, 22. It says, Cornelius was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. So the whole Jewish nation knew this man. As a centurion and a kind, kind man, everybody knew and loved Cornelius. But neither, this is an important point, neither the Jews nor the Gentiles saw him as belonging to the people of God. Neither side. They didn't see him as belonging to the people of God. God chose this well-known, well-loved man to send a message to the world. In Acts 10, 34-35, it says, God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. That's the message that God was sending when He saved Cornelius and his household. Now just think about the conversations that would have been had around the dinner table. Just think about all the people that would have been talking about Cornelius. You can almost hear it. People just saying, hey, did you hear that Cornelius believes in Jesus now? Did you hear that Cornelius was baptized in the name of Jesus? I heard that the Holy Spirit fell upon him and he spoke in tongues like those other Jewish people did. Guys, that, that's going to make an impact in the world. Now here's something that I think is just fascinating about Cornelius. And I want you to hear this because I think if we, this, the diving in a little bit deeper about Cornelius is just great. The name Cornelius, it, it meant something. It was a family name. And during this time in history, people received, especially Romans, received their name that would identify them with a family line. And for those of you that are history buffs, you might recognize the name Cornelius or Cornelia. And during this time in the world, one of the most prominent families in all of Rome was the Cornelius family. The Cornelia family was one of the greatest ruling class families in all of Rome. There were generals and political officials and political figures that all came from this family. We know of at least 75 consuls that came from the Cornelius family. Consuls are the highest elected officials in Rome. Now, we cannot know for sure. So there's this, the disclaimer. We cannot know for sure that this Cornelius was attached to this family. That's true. But I believe that a pretty strong case can be made for it. Cornelius held a prominent position as a centurion soldier. He was very well known and loved among the Jews and the Romans. Roman names were very important during this time. And it doesn't seem likely that somebody that had this name would be from outside of the family line. And the timing of this is just too coincidental. The timing of Cornelius and the story and how Luke writes about the character of this man just seems too coincidental. So why is this 
talking a little bit about the history about Cornelius. Why is this important? Let me show it to you. Because remember when Peter arrived at Cornelius' house, what did he see? His house was packed. He had invited his friends and family all over for this. And look at what the angel told Cornelius. Now we see this in Acts 11. So remember, Acts 11 is when the story is retold to the people who were criticizing Peter. And this is what the angel told Cornelius when he said, go send for Peter. It says, this is Acts 11, 13 through 14. It says, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. You and all your household. And just as God had handpicked Paul on the road to Damascus, I believe that God had handpicked Cornelius and his family. Imagine this high-profile Roman family snubbing their nose at Rome and publicly being baptized in the name of Jesus. Pledging their allegiance not to Rome, but to Jesus Christ. Now you think that's going to make a splash? and have rippling effect in the community and the culture? It absolutely is. God was preparing the world to receive this gospel. God was preparing the whole world, all the nations, to receive this gospel. And Trinity, let me tell you something. The world is ready to receive the gospel. It needs this message. Now, is it going to be easy? No, it's not going to be easy. Is it going to be hard? Yes, it's going to be hard. Is it going to be a struggle? Yes, it's going to be a struggle. Are people always going to be accepting of the gospel message? No, they're not. They're going to reject it. But church, listen, just as Cornelius needed the gospel and you needed the gospel, there are countless billions out there in this world that still need the gospel. And missions for you may not be directly to the man in Zambia or the woman in the small tribe in Bolivia, but it may may be about that family that's right down the street from you. Our job and our privilege is to reach the nations and it starts with the families that live on your street. With the people in your neighborhood. Trinity, only a, a couple hundred years ago, Christianity in, in England and in, 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 in America it caught fire with this hunger to take the gospel to the nations. And so many people set sail to be a missionary, to just spread the gospel, not knowing if they would ever come back. And many of them never even did come back. Many of them didn't. William Carey, India. Adoniram Judson to Burma. Hudson Taylor and Lottie Moon to China. Jim Elliott to Ecuador. These men knew that the gospel must Go to the nations. Guys, they hug their mamas and their daddies and sometimes even their spouses. Left the civilized, safe, cush life for something completely unknown because God wants the message to be spread to the nations. There was an incredible woman around the same time when missionary, the missionary movement just exploded. And um, I love her music dearly. Uh, a woman named Fanny Crosby, she wrote a hymn that captured the, this, the heart of those missionaries from that time that were just going all across the world. And I want you to listen to the lyrics of this beautiful hymn. 
And I, I pray that it, it captures our desire to see salvations happen in every single nation. She wrote this for the, the zeal of the missionaries at the time. Listen to this. It's called Speed Away. Speed away, speed away on your mission of light to the lands that are lying in darkness and night. Tis the Master's command, go ye forth in His name, the wonderful Gospel of Jesus proclaim. Take your lives in your hand to the work while tis day. Speed away, speed away, speed away. Speed away, speed away with a life-giving Word to the nations that know not the voice of the Lord. Take the wings of the morning and fly over the wave in the strength of your Master, the lost ones to save. He is calling once more, not a moment's delay. Speed away, speed away, speed away. Speed away with the message of rest to the souls by the tempter and bondage oppressed. Listen to this church, this is beautiful. For the Savior has purchased their ransom from sin. And the banquet is ready, oh gather them in. To the rescue make haste, there's no time for delay. Speed away, speed away, speed away. Church, this is exactly what Peter did. This is exactly what Peter did. He sped away to Cornelius' side. The Lord blessed his faithfulness and an entire household was saved. And Trinity, let me ask you this question. Who do you know that needs to hear the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ? Who do you know that needs to be, have their family radically transformed with the message of Jesus Christ? My prayer and my challenge for you today is that after this service, you too speed away with the gospel. You speed to them and share with them what Jesus can do when he saves someone. That there is hope in Jesus Christ. There is a future in Jesus Christ. There is an eternity in him. And you are an ambassador with that message. I pray you speed away. Fanny Crosby also wrote another hymn that I love dearly. And this week, um, when we were in staff meeting, I just mentioned the name of this, and, and Allison kind of lit up. And um, I just love this hymn. And I pray that it captures, it just it, it infiltrates your heart. And may your heart align with its message and its words. We're going to close our message this morning as we sing this song. But before we do, let's pray. Father, I thank you that you show no partiality. God, I thank you that there is no secret handshake and there is no password to get in. But Father, our confession is that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, He is the King of kings. And salvation is only found in Him. And Father, my prayer is is that we are a people that spend our lives surrendering to Him. Father, my prayer is that if there is anyone here this morning or watching at home that that does not know the salvation that is offered in Your Son, I pray that today is the day. Lord, there is a hope. There is a hope because Your Son came and died and rose again. Lord, make us a church that want to take the gospel to the nations. May we want the entire world to worship you as the rightful king that you are. 
May we be a people that want to rescue the perishing. Amen.